Hello and welcome to the First Hand Podcast, where we strive to bring you first-hand knowledge, first-hand experience, and first-hand expertise. With interviews and insight from health professionals, connecting you with first-hand perspectives, including current research and rehabilitation, sports performance, recovery, and healthcare. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the First Hand Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Muco, and joining me is your co-host, Anthony Fisichella. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about treatment philosophies and overview of interplay between athletic training and physical therapy. It's one of those things where I think it's important for us to kind of break down a little more specifically how we go through our process of evaluations, because we're, we're going to have our differences, obviously, between you and I or the athletic training setting versus the physical therapy setting. It's more of a on-site, first-hand management type of thing when something's happening down on the field. Someone's getting injured while they're playing, and then I have to go out there, bring them off to the sideline, and go through a little bit more specific of an evaluation to try to determine what may or may not be going on. You know, obviously, with both of us can't do anything specific to diagnosis, but we definitely on the sidelines don't really have access to MRIs or x-rays. So it's important for us to really break down and do that full comprehensive evaluation and not just focus on that area that is injured and make sure that we're getting the whole picture. So more of the acute side of athletic injury, right? Whenever you see somebody run out onto the field, there's going to be the athletic trainer that runs out onto the field along with the sports physician if you're in the NFL and where they can pay for those people to go out there. Like the neurosurgeon's going to run out there if somebody has a head injury along with the team doc. And you put together a plan based upon findings that you're seeing acutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. One of those things where as we're paying attention to the game, we can see what's happening on the field. They happen to plant, cut, change of direction, leg gives out on them. It's going to give you some key indicators on what you may or may not be looking for, kind of help guide you down the path for what may or may not have happened. I think you bring up a great point there too, Fish, because when somebody comes into the clinic, normally an outpatient clinic, you're either direct access, which is a very short limited time. We have 30 days here in Florida. I know that it changes based upon which state that you're in. And the Florida Practice Act, we have 30 days for the initial evaluation that we can perform and providing care for those individuals. And before we have to send them out to go and get a referral from their primary care physician to come back in. And throughout that time, getting that history, sometimes you kind of have to tease it out of some individuals. They might not remember certain aspects of what happened, when it happened, how it happened, where they were, all those kinds of things. But having firsthand sight to what mechanism of injury was can play a massive role in being able to accurately assess and come up with clinical ideas via the injury. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is something that you can attest to, you know, just kind of reminds me of those funny situations where whether it's a patient or an athlete or, you know, whoever it may be with an injury and like, hey, what's going on? You know, what what's hurting? Where's it hurting? And say it's their knee and they're putting their entire hand over their knee. Like, okay, well, that hasn't really made it very specific for me. I need a little bit more of that finger pinpoint rather than showing me the entire area of what's hurting. <laughs> I'm laughing because this is bringing me back and bringing me some nightmares of some of my practicals that I've had with one of my professors. Basically, we asked, you have knee pain. Can you show me where? And of course, exactly like you just said, he basically just surrounded his entire knee and said, yeah, that. 
So it's just trying to tease it out of there a little bit. I think whenever you're interacting with patients, being able to create that kind of rapport to limit it down and say, okay, did you hear any popping? Did you, do you have pain whenever you're doing certain activities such as knee flexion, bringing your knee up, trying to touch your butt? That history does play being able to accurately assess and treat. So based upon that, when you do run out onto the field, okay, and you're running through that assessment, I know that trying to calm somebody down has got to be pretty difficult, right? Absolutely. You know, to them, it's almost like the world's ending. I've had athletes that are obviously in pain. It's not something that, you know, you go over lightly, but to them, it's they're never playing their sport again, you know, and in some rare cases, that's obviously a possibility. But most cases, you know, they're sitting there, they have maybe a significant injury, but they're going to bounce back from that. And to them, it's like I said, it's the end of the world and nothing's going to make the pain any less. And that's all I can think about. So it's really trying to take their mind off of those things and making sure that they know it's going to, it's going to be all right. You're, you're going to survive this and we're going to get you back on the field as healthy as possible in the future. The way that physical therapy, the difference here is the acute nature you could be in that acute setting. You went to become a sports certified specialist, which is something that I do want to do. It allows me to work at sporting events and provide care in those acute settings, like the traumatic events that are going to happen. But that specialty is something that sports teams seek out, obviously, for good reason. It allows you to have that acute awareness that you have to have via CPR. I mean, God forbid somebody goes down with something that they need some kind of resuscitation it gets to that point along the lines of concussions and it's extremely important regarding the outpatient way that physical therapy works in evaluating a patient somebody's going to come in with an injury whether they have a referral from a physician or they walk in off the street there's a systematic process that we run through and in particular i learned an 18-step examination evaluation process that i'm not a hundred percent uh, using each and every one of those with every single patient because over time you kind of distinguish between what's important and what's not important. The examination process goes from being least provocative symptom to most provocative symptom poking around towards the end of the evaluation where you can actually grasp the full reality, couple that with the history taking, and you can create a clinical picture. And then at the very end, we don't necessarily use the imaging as a help in creating clinical judgments until we've already established all of our objective measures and we use it more as a confirming thing to okay yes all of our clinical assessments have gone through just for instance say that this patient had the meniscus and we had the pop the click twisting on a leg and all of a sudden they have pain with different movements and you can say okay did you bring your mris in with you or have you had any imaging in most cases the individuals have not had any imaging which, like you said, you got to have just clinical knowledge and being able to diagnose what's going on in front of you when it happens. So I think that that's where the two kind of play on each other pretty well, would you say? Yeah, you know, you nailed it on the head. I've said this from the very beginning, you know, of my career. It's there's a book way you do things and there's the way you're going to do things. I think the thing to take away from that is you're taught things in school and those are great things and those are concepts and the foundation to build your knowledge base and your career off of. But you're going to utilize certain aspects of your evaluation to guide you down certain pathways to determine what is and what isn't going on. You're not going to, you know, there's say, a, you know, hundred shoulder special tests. You're not going to do all hundred special tests while you're doing an evaluation. You're going to do certain ones that are going to guide you down this path to a, do it a couple other ones. And it's going to really kind of be able to bring you down to the area of this is what 
may be going on more specifically. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where research really, really comes into play. Uh, the, the meta-analysis, the systematic reviews, the randomized control trials, the high-level research that backs up some of these findings to create clusters to enable the clinician to have a better understanding with more objective measure. Because as a clinician, there's nothing that substitutes an objective finding. All the subjective material that you could take in is something you have to utilize during your history taking and become very well at being able to tease that information out. Whereas utilizing those objective techniques and providing the evidence-based backing for research for the supplement into those techniques is key. And that's something that healthcare can continue to improve upon, especially in the physical therapy realm. Yeah, you know, I touched on it a little bit before that you don't want to localize your evaluation just to the injury site. You want to make sure that you are broadening that out a little bit more to see kind of what cost. For instance, everyone has muscular imbalances and the majority of these injury, muscular injuries are related to some sort of muscular imbalance that has changed the path of motion for a joint during movement. And it's one of those things that you want to make sure that you're incorporating that into your evaluation so you can make sure this doesn't continue to be an issue going down the road and you can kind of correct any imbalances that may or may not be there. Yeah, that plays into some of the compensations as well that we see with individuals. The human body is extremely effective at being able to overcome whatever's ailing it and create a dysfunctional movement pattern to allow it to continue moving. It's not just going to stop based upon the fact that you maybe are missing range of motion, you're missing strength, or for whatever reason you have a joint that technically is being pulled in a different way, our bodies are still going to be able to compensate. We're master compensators. Yeah, even with those imbalances is really incorporating that corrective exercise. One of those things that I think activation and those corrective exercises for that activation pattern is crucial in the rehab. Most aren't able to properly control the activation process of muscles such as rotation in the core, proper firing pattern of their quad that may be throwing something out of whack with their kneecap. So correcting those with the proper exercises are going to go a long way with helping correct those imbalances. One that I can speak to personally is multifidus. Multifidus is intrinsically fired, so you have to constantly retrain, constantly re-implement exercises to fire multifidus in order for it to continually act. It's one of the main stabilizers in the back, and whenever that's coupled with something such as a tight QL in my instance, you could start getting those low back symptoms, some of that pain that weakness in some of the core, like you were saying, with muscle dysfunctions and trying to compensate, the whole cascading of events just constantly starts to play if you're not keeping up with your basics. And when I mean basics, you need to create that intrinsic core stability by working your transverse abdominis. You need to constantly try to just activate those deep stabilizing muscles. It's that old, old adage that's constantly that, that proximal stability before distal mobility. You know, that goes a long way when it comes to rehab and making sure that things are getting done the right way. You know, someone that has chronic ankle sprains didn't just happen one time. It's happened multiple times. Yeah, their ankle may be a little bit weak, but somewhere up that chain, there's something else that's going on that's not firing the right way or isn't strong enough to help stabilize. For me, the big thing with lower extremity as far as muscular imbalance or not being able to fire the proper way is the glutes and even specifically the glute meat happens to be one of the main stabilizers for the hip the knee and the ankle so you can just see how important that is 
for that stability and helping ensure that this person doesn't continue to roll their ankle or have those kind of issues down the chain. Right. We see, we see a lot of, you know, chronic recurring inversion ankle sprains in particular, where people have totally lost the ligamentous control and it's solely trying to respond via muscular activation. And those people are doing themselves injustice by not working out and stabilizing via their musculature. The human body is phenomenal. That's why being active, leading an active lifestyle, consistently being healthy, making good, healthy choices is a chore. But at the same time, it's the only way that you're going to be able to actually get out in the world and enjoy it for the longevity. As we get older, it's going to start breaking down. Your body is not meant to last forever. So focus and implement your exercise programs. So we can find that uh, fountain of youth that they've talked about for hundreds of years. Continue to take care of your body while we can and make sure that we're staying, like you said, as active as possible. Every treatment is going to have its differences. They're not all going to be exactly the same. Every person's different. Every imbalance is different in some kind of way. But they are going to have plenty of similarities at the same time. And the biggest thing that I always try to send out there is there's no need to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, the wheel's as good as it's going to get, right? It's been on cars for how long now? You know, there's just there's, there's certain aspects of a treatment, whether it's a knee or an ankle, that are just going to be there for either one. And it's making sure you incorporate those with some subtle differences, obviously, as they continue to get better or change and their body reacts differently to it, that are going to be crucial. I agree with you. We No need to reinvent the wheel for what's working right now. The clusters that are found, we're able to get people back on their feet, yes, but the consistency and being able to create high-quality research is absolutely essential as we continue to move forward. No doubt about that at all. Welcome to the First Hand Sports segment, where we bring you up to date in the world of sports news with opinions and headlines start off baseball for me it's a little bit of maybe a controversial opinion but i think uh, there's plenty of people out there that agree with me about altuve and his batting average this year you know after this so-called cheating scandal from last year eh, well it's all of a sudden kind of dropped about 80 points this year so i'm not so sure that hearing that knocking sounds you know kind of disappear on him this year may have rattled them a little bit and so we'll see how that he rebounds from that through the playoffs yeah, I agree with you. You know, dropping nearly 80 points, some of that cheating stuff could maybe play in. Tampa currently leads the series right now 2-0 with another game tonight against the Astros. It should be interesting to see if Houston can get the game back and make it a series or not. Moving on to the NBA, LeBron James wins another championship, this time with the Los Angeles Lakers against one of his old championship teams that he played for in the past, the Miami Heat. Yeah, I mean, that puts him at uh, four championships against Michael Jordan's six. And there's always going to be that conversation of comparing Michael Jordan and LeBron James. But can you really compare the, the two players from different times? I mean, it's just a different type of basketball from back then till now. Oh, I completely agree. It constantly comes up over sports. Yes, it's fun to say, oh, LeBron's way better because, or oh, Jordan's way better because, and you're never going to see them up against each other, obviously, in their primes, but they have absolutely created a force for themselves in the NBA world. Yeah, and we've we've had this discussion before. It's even going back and go to the CrossFit world, Matt Frazier and Rich Froning. They like to compare those guys because they just, you know, some of the fittest men in the world, no matter how old they are, how young they are, 
And you can't really compare the guys. They're just different, different animals at different times. And they're not competing against each other, both in their prime. So how can you really, truly know who would have been better? You know, you got to start bringing Tia Claire Toomey into that conversation, too. It could be Tia Claire Toomey, Rich Froning, and Matt Fraser against each other. And who knows who would win? <laughs> Tia is an absolute force to be reckoned with on that women's side. If you are a woman CrossFitter right now, you are absolutely looking up the ladder, just like on the men's side. Matt just runs away with everything. Though last year it was very interesting with how Noah Olson performed near the end there. I thought for sure that Matt was going to take the loss, but his heart, his drive, and mental power just overtook the competition there at the end he's a man amongst boys when it comes down to it he's just above all else beating everyone at everything at this point it's ridiculous what he can do and it just uh, blows my mind every single time something that matt has said i've watched some of his videos that i genuinely appreciate is he says i work to not have a weakness if you're good at something leave it move on to something that you're bad at and just become really good at what you're bad at and I think that everybody should take that mental mindset. Get out of your comfort zone. Go and explore. Try and do better on yourself each and every day that you get out of bed. Just try to become something better. I don't think that he meant it to be a motivational aspect like that whenever he said it. And his line is hard work pays off. HWPO is his thing. I've even gotten to the point to where I'm doing anything. I put in as hard of an effort as I possibly can and hope to gain the most that I can and continuously do better. And I mean, Matt Fraser standing there in the background. <laughs> well, your other weird thing of the day is I know you've been trying to crush it on the putt-putt uh, courses, which eh, I think you're kind of five-putting everything. But I know you like Bryson quite a bit with the PGA Tour. He's just weak sauce, man. He's got no power. The guy just has zero power, you know? Like, I could probably achieve what he was able to achieve with a putter, blindfolded, my arms tied behind my back with how strong that I am. No, seriously. I don't know if you were able to see it, but at TPC Summerlin this past weekend, Bryson DeChambeau was able to drive the green on a 382-yard par 4. Unbelievable. Not sure I can do that in two hits. <laughs> There's been some controversy from that, actually. A golfer from England, Matt Fitzpatrick, said that it's not skill to hit a ball a long way, in my opinion. And he went on further to say that he could probably put on 40 pounds, go see a biomechanist, and gain 40 yards to his drive. Uh, I say go try it, right? Clearly, Doshimbo's got something going for him. He's changing the way that golf's being played overall. They're going to have to start alternating the courses there's been speculation that they need to make the rough outside the fairways extremely high which would make placement a bigger emphasis which would therefore potentially take away the fact that you can't just go out there and long ball it yeah at the same time if you're driving the green on the 382 par four you're still in the green you're not in the rough true yeah as mickelson says he's juiced his calves up that's for sure moving on to the nfl Dak Prescott suffered a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle that required surgery later on in the afternoon Sunday. The Cowboys think high of him. We'll see if he can recover from that injury. They said that he should have full recovery and that he'll be returning in May or April time frame of next year. I mean, man, that's going to be, you know, interesting to see what happens there with him and how it all plays out. And lucky for him, the kind of statistics and the yardage he's been 
thrown around this year so far. It's kind of solidified him with the ability to come back from this injury and still be the start of the following year. I think there's no doubt about that. They have a lot of confidence in him. Hope that for him, he can get back out there, compete again at a high level. Something traumatizing like that's going to be difficult, but with the resources that those professional athletes have, we're praying for a speedy recovery for Dak and that he can get back out there and do his thing. Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes lost his first NFL game by more than seven points. Now, I think this is absolutely absurd. This guy has been in the league for how long now? He's lost his first game by seven points. That's gaudy at that point. Have that many games under your belt and not have lost by seven points or more. That I mean, that's that's absurd. Speaking of Kansas City, you know, you got uh, offensive lineman Osimile who was a problem for the Jets. And yes, I was, I'm a Yankees fan. I have to take a little torture as being a Jets fan as well, but at least, you know, we have all those World Series on the other side. Uh, but he was a problem for the Jets when he went to go get surgery on his shoulder without approval. And unfortunately for him, you never want to see these guys get injured. You know, he ended up tearing tendons in both his knees during the first quarter of their game against the Raiders. And I know Sammy Watkins got hurt as well. So Kansas City's been a little hit by the injury bug this past Sunday. I don't know. Uncharacteristic game of them. Maybe with the O-line, with Watkins kind of going down. I mean, it's not a a super target for him, but it's something that he can have as a safety valve to get the ball out. Uh, I don't know how many receptions he has this year. I don't have a stat sheet pulled up or anything, but I know that Sammy Watkins is an integral part of the receiving core there. But with Pat Mahomes, I mean, if you're slightly open, you're open. That dude can make throws behind his back. He's unreal. So for them to you know, falter. I'm I'm making it sound like it's a big deal. They lost by seven points for the first time since he's been quarterback. But I mean, when you hear a stat like that, something went wrong, right? You're going to have those down games. Yeah. I mean, it's the NFL. You're still, no matter which team it is, still playing against some of the best players to ever play the game at this time. So it's not going to be easy either way. You still got to play at the top of your game in order to win. And unfortunately for my Jets, this just in, but Le'Veon Bell was just released, according to ESPN. So that's just another hit to the 0-5, I think it is now. It's it's hard to watch, so I really have no idea at this point. He's coming back to Pittsburgh when he left. I'm a big-time Steelers fan. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, baby. Black and gold all day. You cut my veins. I'm really black and gold. But anyway, uh, he's coming back to Pittsburgh. There's no doubt about it. No, we can't pay him, but... Uh, I know that our backfield has been doing, eh, since he's been gone. There's only one Le'Veon Bell. I just don't know what the situation was there. Uh, who knows? There's We never get all the information from the NFL, let's be honest. Do you have anybody else that can carry the rock? Uh, Frank Gore. I mean, the dude doesn't age, so we got him sitting back there at like 55 years old at this point. And uh, the, uh, the rookie, Perrine from Florida. Hopefully, maybe he can get some more carries, get a little more action. Frank Gore has been doing his multifidus exercises, glute meat exercises, lower trap exercises. <laughs> he's got to stay healthy at some point. I mean, the wear and tear from the NFL ain't easy. He's just one of those that just keeps on ticking. All right, so in the next episode, we will be discussing Dak Prescott's injury in more detail. Be sure to join us for the conversation on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the First Hand Podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us on all of our social media accounts by searching for the First Hand Podcast or by emailing us at thefirsthandpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include any questions, topics, and or ideas for future shows. 
you'll also be entered for a chance to interview with us on a future show. As always, the road may be windy, but stay the path and remember to live life firsthand. <laughs>